0: I bought it when it was at like $4. And then maybe like a year later, it went down to $250. I'm down like 40%. And I'm just like, mercy, I'm out. Like, I can't believe I did this. But in addition to losing that, another reason it's the worst investment is because if I had held that today, do you know what AMD is trading at now? Over $100.
1: Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives, and I want to thank you for joining that mission today. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest Kenny Rose. Kenny, are you ready to join the mission?
0: Oh, I've been on the mission. I'm ready to join your ship too.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, I'm super excited about having you on to hear about your mission. Let me introduce you to the audience. Kenny is the Chicago-based founder and CEO of Shares, a platform that democratizes franchise Investing. With over a decade of experience in the franchise industry, Kenny has worked with over 600 franchise brands in more than 100 industries. He is an expert on franchise evaluation and has helped individuals identify the best ways to deploy capital into franchise ownership to maximize return on investment and operation. Kenny founded Shares to allow individuals to invest in a diversified portfolio of franchises with as little as 500 bucks. Backed by Chicago Ventures, his platform is aimed at creating passive income streams for investors. Kenny, take a minute and tell us about the unique value you are bringing to this wonderful world.
0: Thank you so much. Well, amazing introduction as always, and I'm very happy to be here. And you know the value I bring. Well, for one, most people don't know much of anything about franchises other than the fast food world, and so I like to be a resource for like explaining what the F word is and why we should care about it. When frankly, you kind of overlook it. And you know, I bring a realistic approach to things. I don't like getting caught up in the fads and stuff. I want
1: to cut to the core and give realistic insights on stuff. So
0: that's mm. what I'm bringing. I'm sticking to
1: it. You know, it's interesting about franchises. You know, when I thought about business when I was young. I never thought about doing a franchise. I either maybe I thought it wasn't that creative, maybe I thought it was too difficult to do or required too much money. I really don't know. And then I mentioned we were talking earlier that I read the, you know, the great book by Michael Gerber, The E-Myth, and I read it when I was young and I recently reread it. And of course, I have an open invitation for Michael to come on the show and talk about his worst investment ever, which would be interesting. But I stopped when he really got into the details of franchise and I wonder why. So tell us a little bit about how people feel about franchises, how you want people to understand. And particularly because in your case, you're like, you know, to start a franchise, you can benefit from franchise. So tell yeah. us a little bit about what you're doing.
0: You know, I call it the F word of owning a business because people hear it. It's a bad word. And honestly, I used to be the same way. I, My middle school and early high school years, I grew up in a town that didn't allow franchises there. They were said no national chains. And so, like, this was very alien to me. And honestly, I think that's where, like, kind of the open-mindedness came about because I was introduced to it. And honestly, I thought to myself, oh, it's McDonald's, Subway, Taco Bell. Like, it's all fast food. And that's what most people think. And they... You'll think like, Oh, I want to like have my name on it, or I got to create everything. Or, you know, there was so much head trash and the person who introduced me to it, he was the CEO of a company that coaches CEOs. And I'm like, what do you know about franchise? He's Like my company's a franchise. I'm like, wait, there's a franchise for coaching CEOs. What else is out there? And I find out hair care, automotive, painting, waste management, like everything is franchise, And that's why it's almost 4% of the economy. Because it's so many industries out there, and hmm. that's why I got into it. I'm like I call it the left lane theory. Everyone's going right. I want to go left, and so I thought about this, and I got into the franchise brokerage space because it was just so unique, and like I loved the challenge of explaining it to people. Because everyone's looking for not everyone, but a lot of people, they're looking to own their own business. They're looking for being their own boss, increasing their income, like all these things that come with owning a business and entrepreneurship. And that's like, you know, franchising checks all of those boxes. And frankly, if you've never started a business on your own and everyone who has knows this, those first five years are a nightmare. You have to figure so many things out. You don't know what you don't know. And it's just going to keep coming at you. And so with the franchise, and I I was a victim of the same thing because like my father's an entrepreneur, I watched him succeed and fail in businesses. And I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I didn't have that idea. I was like, what is the idea? And then I got used to franchising. And speaking of, they have franchises for everything. The franchise brokerage I was with—that's a franchise. <laughs> and so I got to get plugged in and learn everything about how to run this business. And I, you know, did it for about four or five years. And I was like, okay, that's a business in a box. Like I get it now. And so if you can remove that, I have to create it. And we'll talk about how we remove the too much money part. And mm. honestly, the difficult part—it's frankly it's easier than starting a business in a lot of ways you just have to find the right one that fits you and your skill set but i think what a lot of people don't like about it when they hear that f word is they immediately picture back in the 90s or something they walked into a mcdonald's and they saw someone behind you know the counter at mcdonald's and they're just like oh i'm going to be sad if i'm stuck behind a counter and it's like that's not what franchising is like fast food is one industry in franchising it covers hundreds of different industries like Honestly, I, I would blow your mind with how many different industries yeah. are out there. You didn't even know we industries or ones that are. You're like, wait, there's franchises in that. It's just such a big world. And that's what I love about it. You can tell I get excited about it because yeah. I'm just like, I feel like I'm just opening the box for everyone. I'm like, yeah, you walked right past you. There's something good in here.
1: You know, it reminds me of a story when I was, I studied at Cal State Long Beach and it's full of beautiful women that were, you know, beautiful. And I was just a guy from Ohio and, you know, I didn't have much to offer. I felt about myself at the time, <clears throat> besides my radio voice, but that yeah. didn't really have much value at that time. So uh, but I remember sitting next to this really beautiful girl and she and I talked and, and we kind of were joking around about how we may, you know, could date or maybe not and all that. And she said to me, you know, I, I wouldn't date you because and I said, why? It's just you're boring. And yeah. <laughs> and having a a sharp wit, I looked at her with a smile and I said, Honey, someday you're going to want boring. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And I really did have a boring life. I I kind of purposely did it. I focused on school and focused on trying to improve myself and knowing that over the long run that would would really provide me with a better future. And so I really was boring and I tried to push myself to study on Friday nights or Sunday mornings to try to like really test myself. So I was going through somewhat of a boring phase. But the reason why I mentioned that story is because when you start off with a business, like we started a company in Thailand, my best friend and I called Coffee Works, and we're supplying coffee to hotels and stuff. We're we're B2B. And, you know, in the beginning, it was all originality. But now, after 30 years, it's all about replicating, repeating. It's all about consistency. It's about delivering the same experience over and over. And all of a sudden, you realize that that's what franchises are all about.
0: Exactly. And it's funny you say that with boring because in franchising, we have a joke that boring is sexy. Because, like, they'll franchise stuff like screen door repair. And you're like, that is so boring. And it's like, you can make a good six figures doing that. And it's a pretty simple business. You're like, wait, wait, what? You know, like when you're going for the same sexy, flashy thing everyone else is, you're just a, another one in there versus, you know, again, big fish, little pond. Like, franchising can seem boring, but honestly, like, I feel sexy doing it. I never thought I'd say that mm. little on the podcast, but you know what? Let's do
1: it. <laughs> and let's talk about the business, franchise and what you're trying to do. Maybe you can explain, like, if people go to your website, what are they going to see? You mentioned as little as $500. What's the benefit of what you're doing? We've now discussed the benefit of franchising, which I think has a lot of merit out there. But what would you say is the benefit for your business?
0: Yeah. See, what I realized a while ago in my years in the brokerage space is there's a big separation between where the money comes from and who the operators are. Because if you use like the McDonald's example, if you need like a million bucks in cash to get rolling, and most people don't have that. And so the very, very wealthy people or private equity come in, put the money down, and they pay as little as they can to a general manager to you know run it for them. And they wonder why they get bad results when they pay people poorly. But franchising in the decade, like all the years before 2000 and even before 2010, they were all about owner-operated businesses. That's what franchising is supposed to be. Mm. But the cost to own a franchise went up so much with the cost of build-outs and real estate. And so it wasn't really able to catch up with like, we need owner-operators who are trying to thrive in their own business because it's too expensive. So I said, let's separate the money and the people who run it. You know, we want to fund the people who are the real operators in the world, the ones who don't get the shot yet have all the skills and all the drive to go do it. Versus, you know, all people who are like semi-retired and they're like, oh, yeah, I'll throw some money in that and get a, a GM. And it's just it just doesn't work out. And so on the other side, you have pretty much everyone in America and most of the world knows what a franchise is. And they like the idea of especially passive income. Alternative investments can be good or bad, but you think about ones that they, like, number one, alternative investments, probably real estate. And they like, one of the main reasons they like is passive income. And you will get what other passive income instruments are out there, especially ones that you can actually understand as mm. a general investor. And, you know, you've got real estate, which, frankly, everyone's moving money into alternatives now. So that's why you see institutional investors going all the way down to single family homes. So you're you're trying to compete with institutional money and you're going to not see the returns that you did in the past Mm. versus, you know, in the franchise world, it's not as easy as you build it and they will, well, a lot of people like to think it's you build it and they will come. It's you need a good operator. But frankly, when you invest in it, you get these passive incomes as well as the equity growth portion of it. And so when you look at like, That is an alternative investment. That's what people are looking for. And so with franchairs, we separated the capital and the operators, and we gave these investors the ability to get into franchising without having to work it full time or even part time and without having to do a six or seven figure cash outlay and without having to have the right skill set or leave your day job. And so it was really just separating those two. And honestly, you saw this happen in the real estate world decades ago. The fact that it had happened in franchising was just something that was massively overlooked because they got stuck on that F word. Yet private equity and family offices have been loving life investing in franchises. And so it was really about opening that asset class to everyone else. And when I say everyone else, it's not like just institutional, but even a lot of, if you're not one of the top 15 or 20 private equity groups in the, and that focus on franchising, they don't see deals come to their desk. Family offices don't see deals come to their desk. And especially even like your accredited or non-accredited investors, they don't get the opportunity. So yeah. honestly, it, it just seemed like a natural thing to happen.
1: So, so explain what happens if, let's say, let's say someone puts in $500 or $10,000 or whatever it is into franchises. Are they buying into one specific franchise or are they buying into a pool of franchises? And how, how does it work? Yeah,
0: so I'll tell you how it works now and how it'll work later too. Because yeah. starting off, you know, I realized most people don't know much about franchising. And so having them pick individual ones is like sending a high score to go pick stocks. You're like, maybe you'll get lucky, but you don't know what you're looking at. Yeah. And so to get started, we created a diversified portfolio. So it's diversified by industries, diversified by geography, and diversified by brands. And so, you know, I want to show people the width of the franchise industry getting started. And so we did one of the, f- still top 10 fastest growing food franchises one called teriyaki madness which our leadership team is amazing the growth is incredible and honestly when you look at what the competition is for fast food or even quick service asian most people can't tell you one outside of panda express mm. but you know that's food and still a lot of people will have extra head trash about food but yet that's know what they f- that's what they know franchising for right then on the other side of the spectrum i love the boring unsexy industries and Waste management. The other one, the portfolio is called Smash My Trash, and it's so simple, yet so great. You know, you think about anything in the commercial space that's got like construction, manufacturing, distribution. They've all got those giant open top dumpsters. Mm. Costs a ton of money to haul that off to the dump every time. So Smash My Trash drives this giant rig with a two ton drum with teeth on it and mashes everything down, so you can keep filling it back up again. Less trips to the dump, saves you money. So simple but you wouldn't have known that was a franchise, let alone that that was an industry. Mm. And so we want to do, take some takeout, some trash, and that's why we call it the TNT Fund. And little pun, I want to hope it's like explosive results too.
1: So let's, let's discuss that for a second. Yeah, yeah. So when, when someone puts that money in, then you deploy that money to an individual, to a shares in a master franchise, or how does it work?
0: Yeah, so we're investing in operators that are looking to start or expand. And again, we'll talk about how that changes more down the road, yep. but, you know, there's a big problem that like where you get funding for franchising is either really banks or private equity. Right. Private equity won't give you a check unless you can really deploy 30, maybe, but really like 50 million plus. Yep. And then banks have a whole like collateralize everything extreme net worth and income levels that you need to meet there it's and it's such a complicated process. Mm. And yet you've got these great operators who built the foundation. You know they started the locations yep. that's when they're ready to expand. So if you have three locations you're ready to expand a bank's going to look at it like well you own three houses you know, houses. So they see is you've got all this debt but Looking from the franchise world, I'm like, I'm seeing the results from these businesses, and you've built the foundation. Like, you're when I should be pouring gasoline on this fire. And, you know, great example is we had this uh, husband wife team we invested in in North Carolina, and these two met while working at Buffalo Wild Wings corporate. And they basically developed the entire Southeast. So I think it was like 150 locations while working Mm -hmm. for corporate, but launching, training, and growing stores. Dream of franchisees. But, you know, you work for corporate. You're not always gonna have a couple million bucks laying around to build out a whole empire for yourself. So they became franchisees for teriyaki madness. First location, they actually just bought one that was already there, doubled the sales in like two months, because they're yeah. amazing operators. And you're like, Yeah, these are dream franchisees. Banks are not gonna look at them like that. Yeah, and so we look at them differently because and we're partnering with them. And so when you invest in the portfolio, you're investing in all these different operators who have the track record but really the system isn't working for them
1: and and, and just um, let me let me just ask you about yeah. that so let's take this this couple as an example and they say like we want to expand to 10 locations let's just say in our first phase yeah. basically you the benefit that you're bringing to them is we can provide the capital if you can provide the operation
0: you know that's just the beginning because that's that was my initial idea was bring bring the capital but right. i don't think capital's enough like when you get a loan from a bank they're giving you capital and you got payments and mm. that's not a relationship. And frankly, no one likes their bank. And most people don't like working with, a lot of times don't like working with private equity. Right. And so I tried thinking more and more, how can we be more value add to them? And it's both what we give them and where the money comes from. So one thing is that we prioritize local investors. So mm. like people in North Carolina get first dibs on investing.
1: Okay. That's and interesting.
0: That's, yeah. Because when you think about it, community makes franchises work. People go there and they're all part of this community. People don't see franchises as small businesses, but they're local owners employing local people, keeping money in the local economy. You spending money at Trader Joe's actually sends money out. Mm. you Spending at a local franchise keeps it in. And so when you've got the community investing in these businesses, well, when you invest in it, they're going to be a customer. Same reason people have Apple stock, have iPhones. People buy iPhones, buy Apple stock. And so you've got this built-in customer base, but at the same time, you've also got these evangelists there. Everyone who invests in those teriyaki madnesses, they're going to never go to Panda Express again. And they're going to tell all their friends to never go to Panda Express again. And so you've got kind of this like Reddit versus Wall Street effect, but on the local level. Because when you think about your investments, how many of them can you actually see in the local community, you know, and be like a part in that? Even when you invest in real estate, a lot of times it's not in your city, not in your state. It can be thousands of miles away. And, you know, it's just a, a line item in your portfolio. But there's something to be said about something that makes money, but also you can point to it and be like, I'm a co-owner in that. So then and- so
1: just to, to look at that value add, and basically, you're kind of a, a market maker, bringing people who have some capital in that local community together with good ideas in that local community. I can see the value add there. But what my question is, is are you just matchmaking them and then they're investing in the individual franchise operations? Or are they They're giving that money to you, and then you're managing, and then you're having an ownership in the individual franchises? Or are you setting up a master with that couple so that that just gets access to all of them? Or how, how does it work?
0: Yeah. So um, we can't really do like a blind pool without being a registered investment advisor, which that will be coming down the road. Mm-hmm. But so people invest, we tell them what they're investing We show them geographies, talk about the operators, talk about the franchise themselves. And so, again, starting off, you're getting yep. into like a diversified portfolio of franchises. But, you know, as we continue to scale, you'll be able to do certain brands. You'll be able to do certain industries like a health and health and wellness portfolio. Yep. You know, I cannot wait for when we have the woke, like as we continue to scale. You know, I'm in Chicago. I want there to be a Chicago portfolio. So right. where I go to eat, get my hair cut, go work out it, get my oil changed. I own a piece of it. I'm literally contributing to my investments by doing what I was doing anyway. So let's and, talk about
1: the future then what's the structure yeah. that you're going to be doing
0: Yeah so um you know there's a couple different parts to it you know I like right now as i mentioned we do a lot of investing into existing franchisees and are more owner operator and help them scale mm. but a big thing that i'm working on and we're launching fairly soon here is actually similar to Chick-fil-A Do you know how much it costs to own a Chick-fil-A No Take a stab $500,000 if you were to do it all on your own, it'd be like a million and a half. But that's not what it costs. It costs 10 grand because Chick-fil-A realized this owner-operator problem a very long time ago. And they said, we want owner-operators. That's why chick fil A's known that's as the hardest. Hard,
1: that's the constraint, people. finding those yeah. people.
0: Yeah. Because frankly, they're, every other franchise, they're waiting for those who have the money, not who have the heart and the experience. Yep. And so Chick-fil-A realized this and they said- you have to start working in at the lowest level, work your way up to a manager, and then apply to be a franchisee. But if you get it, it's only ten grand. And because of this, it's harder to get a Chick-fil-A franchise than to get into Harvard. And, <laughs> and there's a reason. It's Yes, they have great chicken sandwiches, but frankly, that's not the only reason they're the highest average unit volume franchise out there. It's those people inside. Franchises are people as much as food. Okay. And, and so um a big part of what we're doing, and there are downsides to how Chick-fil-A does it. I'll be totally mm. transparent. Like mm. they take a massive royalty off the top, a massive royalty on profits. Mm. And, you know, but they're also making their money back for like doing the cash outlay. Yep. But a lot of those owners don't have equity. And so what we're creating, it's really this model of how you can do become, you know, go from an employee to a franchisee but actually have equity and actually be able to grow with it, scale more. So we're calling that the easy model, employee to franchisees. Franchisees are often called Zs, Z right. in the industry. So easy. So that's where I'm really excited in the future, because that's going to be when you're investing in people you believe in even more. That's when you're going to realize that you're truly creating jobs and opportunity in your community and for you know lesser advantaged people. And that's also when you're going to like really see the love and care in there. There's a difference when you walk into one franchise that's got an Mm -hmm. owner operator who's there making the show work and loving everything about it. And that one who's just a general manager making bare minimum that they should be paid.
1: Okay. So, so so let's just summarize that. So to summarize that you got so much going on, I'm just trying to understand it, but to summarize that what you're trying to do is in the future, it sounds like, or is this in the present is that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What you want to be able to do is to be able to provide capital to people who are working in franchises and see the value of it and say, I want to either start a franchise of this particular company or another franchise. Maybe I saw all the bad things. And I think the competitor across the road is even better, but I don't have the millions or half a million or whatever it would take to set it up. So here comes franchise to be able to say, if you're the right owner operator, we can provide funding.
0: Yeah exactly you know a great example of it is i was talking to franchise it's actually today actually and we were talking about like who ends up being franchisees what's right and wrong about it and they said, i forget the time frame of they're like we had 2000 applications to be franchisees 500 of those were financially qualified and then we went with 50 of them and so it's like yes they're being selective once they get people in the door but i see as you left out 1500 people because they didn't have enough money Yep. And frankly, they were all saying how a lot of those like 500 to 50 that they were talking to were like billionaires and private equity groups. And do you think those people are setting foot in those stores? And what do you think is better for a store, an owner operator inside or a check writer outside? You know, that's that's the base of it. And so mm. i this is going to change franchising, in my opinion, but I'm also
1: heavily biased. <laughs> yes, uh, we we accept your bias. Well, there's so much <laughs> more that I want to learn about. And so I think for all of us. Just go to franshares.com to learn more about it. And uh, maybe we'll have you back on to talk more about it in the, the future. But now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstance leading up to it and then tell us your story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So um, this is not long after I graduated college. I actually went to San Diego state. So uh, we okay. got the California, Southern California. And mm-hmm. I became a financial advisor at Merrill Lynch up in San Francisco And this actually followed my best investment ever, which is hilarious. And also, it was also part of the problem. Mm. You know, it was 2013 and American Airlines and U.S. Airways merged. And the Justice Department challenged the merger in fear. It was a monopoly and both the stocks just plummeted. It was uh, U.S. Airways, I believe, was AAMRQ at the time. Mm. Went from like 250, I think, all the way down to about a quarter per Mm. share. My older brother is a pilot and all, I mean, he did ground school for aviation when he was 13, like lives and breathes that industry. And so I learned a lot from him over the years, also knowing that they challenge every merger and that they always get allowed. Like they they kind of have to challenge or else everyone's gonna try and do whatever they want. And so I threw every nickel and dime I had in that. And then the deal went through and the stock went up to $12 or yeah, that one went to $12 and then the other one, it was like between American Airlines and U.S. Airways, I went on both. The other one went up like to $23, I think. And so it was my first year out of college. And I was like, hey, let's see what I can do. And absolute home run. Like, I honestly, I, I wish I had more trades like that these days. When I had more yeah. behind me. So, you know, I, I'm feeling very proud and like live my Merrill Lynch life in San Francisco. And I'm excited for like my next big one. And then I was talking to another financial advisor friend of mine and he says, have you heard of AMD? And I said, no, I don't tell me more. And so I started learning about the world of processors mm-hmm. and micros. and I'm just like, this is all very fascinating. I don't understand a lot of the words that you're saying, but also I knew that they, they were very good at what they did. And so, you know, I bought it when it was at like $4. And then maybe like a year later, it went down to 250. I'm down like 40%. And I'm just like, mercy, I'm out. Like, I can't believe I did this. But in addition to losing that, another reason it's the worst investment is because if I had held
1: that today, do you know what AMD is trading at now? So, okay, remind us, what did you buy it at? $2.50. Or so, sorry, $4. $4. I $4. sold it at 2 dollars Yep, yep. $4, you sold it at $2.50. What is it trading at now? Some astronomical over
0: price. Huh? Over $100. And there's probably been some, I, I haven't even looked because I was, well, it started ticking up. I was losing my mind. And honestly, that's where it currently, I don't know if there were splits or anything, but like, yeah. So it was at minimum 2,400% return I would have been getting, probably even more. And so it was like I lost a bunch of money. And then I also didn't get life changing money.
1: <laughs> uh, so how would you describe the lessons that you learn?
0: You know, when, I changed how I invested for that deal. Like I understood aviation through my brother. And I also really like, again, I like go into the left lane when everyone's going to the right. And so that's where I always liked doing it. And this was just frankly, sound advice. And I just, I wasn't looking for that at the time. I was in my early twenties mm. and I wasn't thinking about how much I was willing to lose, what my time horizon was, what my maximum loss would be. And frankly, the number one thing was education. I did not have education on what I was investing in. And since then, I have made education a top priority in investing. Mm-hmm. I've lost my franchise brokerage days. I'd fire more people than I ever took on because I would give them like things to research and things to look at. And it's like, okay, what did you learn? And they say nothing. I'm like, if you're not going to try here, you're not going to try when it's your own business and I'm not going to be responsible for you losing. Mm-hmm. And so- you know, it's be educated, pick an investment style, you know, stick with it and things that you don't know outsource to those professionals that know those spaces better.
1: Mm, yeah. Maybe I'll summarize a couple of things I take away. I mean, I love the idea of, you know, improving ourselves. And I had a guy I work with many years ago that like he would just stay up at night after work trying to figure out a problem that we had at work. And he would basically come in the next morning and go, I figured it out. And here it is, I did some coding or whatever. And once I saw that guy, I said, I just want to work with this guy for the rest of my life. So he and I have basically been business partners for 25 years almost, or wow. you know, 20 plus years. I love that. And just as much as my other business partner, Dale in the coffee business, this guy, this time man in the finance business is, is like that. But the idea of the passion for learning and, and figuring things out, I think it's such a critical thing. And if you don't have it, you really need to stop and think, come on, how are you going to start to build the habit of learning? So that's the first thing I take away. The second thing is that, you know, you mentioned that you didn't think about your time horizon. So let's think about that for a young person listening to this right now. You're 20 years old. Let's just say you're 20-ish. You're just out of school. You get a good job. You want to retire when you're 60. Your time horizon is 40 years, but it's not 40 years. You don't want to die when you're 60 you wanna live a happy retirement till you're 90. That's another 30 years. We're talking about 70 year horizon. And so the best solution for a young person is to build a diversified portfolio, either of individual stocks, which is difficult and is a full-time job, and you've gotta have the right number of stocks so that you, you don't just match the index, but not enough, not too few that you risk all your capital or just buy an index and realize that the most important thing that a young person can do at that age is the contribution of the money into the index and say, my goal is to get a hundred thousand dollars into an index fund that is the whole market or the whole world. There's a fund like the VT fund, a Vanguard fund that owns almost 9,000 stocks around the world, you know, and that set your goal of getting 100,000 in there before you even start thinking about picking individual stocks. And that 100,000 at the age of 20-ish is going to grow to be multi-millions by the time you get to 60. So that's my big takeaway. But anything you would add to that? Yeah, we actually did a... um, We created
0: a port with uh, YouGov talking about the same type of thing. And we were. We were trying to see what people's time horizons, what they look at. And it was really interesting because it wasn't entirely what you think. Mm. You know, how much like younger investors had much shorter time horizons than you thought. And it was baffling because like classic financial advising is that like, yes, you can gonna have higher risk, but you should have higher, you know, longer time horizons. Mm. And their idea was, well, I can have higher risk, but I need a shorter time horizon. And honestly, mm. a lot of it is that people want to be rich now. And they don't want to be patient and wait, you know, it's get rich fast does not work for people. You get rich slow and you laugh at those who are running, you know? And mm-hmm. so it's really interesting how like their time horizons just don't align with what they should be because mm-hmm. it's not the same age as it was before. I think because like a lot of things have gone up so much, like buying a home is so impossible in some of these markets. And so they're like, I, I can't do it with my income. I need to make it up in other ways. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting. And part of where I don't think you can educate people until you've been educated first. And so we want to get educated on that side of things. Like, where are Gen Z and millennials and every other generation? Like, what are their time horizons and why do they think that way? You know, what are they aiming for? And so I don't like to tell people what to think. I like to understand what they're thinking and see if it works for them, you know? Mm. But yeah, it's really interesting.
1: Yeah, so based on what you've learned from that particular story and what you've continued to learn, what's one piece of advice or one action that you'd recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Do not invest in anything you have not become fully educated in. That is
0: so important. Like people ask me all the time about like you know returns on franchise and all these things, and I'm like go get educated first. You know, it's like if someone starts asking you these basic questions on stocks, it's like, whoa, back up, do not invest in anything until you know what you're doing, or Mm -hmm. you can learn about it. Like people try investing in real estate to get rich quick, and then they lose all their money because they didn't get educated. They read a headline on like how this can work. And yes, it's like, honestly, to me, we're building a new asset class And I've always been a very ethical person. And I think we will grow this to be the biggest thing by continuing to do so. Mm -hmm. And so I tell people like, don't invest everything you can into one offering, spread it, you know, be educated and spread it across multiple ones, be diversified, because I don't want you to come in for one big investment. I want you investing for the rest of your life. And so like becoming educated in that. And that's one of the reasons I love franchising, because again, people don't know all this about it. Franchising is regulated by the Federal Trade Commission. And so you are actually, every franchise has to publicly disclose everything about themselves, leadership team, finances, how much it costs to start a location, what they can make if there's uh, lawsuits against them. All of this is publicly available. And Mm. we like to make sure people can see it. And like, when we talk about projections and stuff, yes, I think our operators will do better than other ones in the system. But most of these franchises, they're able to show what they're like average returns are high-end and low-end and just back from my brokerage days would say the same thing look at the average Mm. if you are happy with the average that is great but do not get sold on the high end do not get sold on the low end and so we provide projections i'd rather under promise and over deliver Mm. more than anything else and so it's get educated and like know where things are coming from like People can get ripped off of investing and investing in all sorts of things. It's because they didn't do the homework. And I right. love franchises. You can do homework outside of us too. Like, yes, we give you a ton of resources, but third-party verification is just amazing.
1: Yeah. All right. So what's a resource that you'd recommend for the listeners?
0: Well, if you're interested in the franchise world, we actually created an investor guide to help people get educated on franchise. Not just how to invest in franchises, but how to get educated on franchising and know things like what I just mentioned about the FTC and mm. everything about franchising. Another one I just I personally love because it's very off-the-beaten path is their uh newsletter called Execsum, run mm. by like a, a financial meme group called Witquidity. They make it fun and they're mm. very educated. And it's just a lot of like great info and a great digest to keep you at the top. So if you're not diving into literally everything, you still get Wall Street people who are giving you such great advice. And these people I mean, it's all the insiders that are sharing stuff with each other. And so like you hear about layoffs that are coming at these companies too. Like everyone talks and now it's like a great place to listen to them. What is that called? So the uh, influencers called Litquidity, L-I-T-Quidity. And then they have a newsletter called ExecSum, like Executive Summary. Um, okay. Got it. Summary of the summary.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Okay. I'll have that in the show notes and the resources on franchairs.
0: Yeah. So obviously you can go to franchairs.com, but I will send you a link
1: that you can post in the show notes. where to grab that investor research guide. Fantastic. And last question, what's your number one goal for the next 12 months? I so many goals,
0: but you know, really it, it comes down to what we're doing with franchairs. Like mm. I had the idea for this seven years ago, probably, and I've been planning very patiently to get here. And, you know, I want to bring on another 10-plus franchise brands, but the the real goal is to get us to $100 in gross investment volume on the platform. That is my goal for the next 12 months, and believe me, I will hit it. Sorry, we will hit it. My team is amazing. I can do nothing without them.
1: (laughs) Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. Remember, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their Lives as we conclude, Kenny. I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of A Stots Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have oh, any yeah. parting words for the audience?
0: I mean, there's so many people I'd like to thank, but you especially. I couldn't get this award without you. <laughs> but uh, you know, I parting words is keep an open eye. You know, you never know what's good until you research it. And yeah. I think people like to hop on ball, it's already rolling instead of rolling up their own.
1: And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow and protect our well, fellow risk takers. Let's celebrate that today we added one more person to our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott saying, I'll see you on the upside.